Today I'm reading John 15, verses 1 through 17 from the New International Version. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be given even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're wrapping up this series on groundedness by talking about being grounded in community. Now, um, to be fair, a couple of caveats here. First of all, I'm talking about this in the heart of a three-year-plus pandemic. And so I know that there is a lot of isolation floating around this room. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of disconnect. And so the things that I'm going to talk about, I'm just going to ask you to try to apply a little creativity in your own life. If you look to apply anything that I say, you're going to have to be creative with it. Because right now, community leaders as well as community members are really working to try to see what this looks like in the face of constantly changing numbers and constantly changing levels of safety. So that's caveat number one. I know that I'm talking about this in the middle of a, of a pandemic. <laughs> um, and the second caveat is that I want to acknowledge that each of the communities I'm going to talk about today, um, they have a shadow side. And most of us in this room, if not all, are going to immediately think of triggers or damage or woundedness that's come at the hands of one of these communities. And I don't want to belittle that at all, because I am in that same boat. Um, but there are other truths that are positive and, more, and, and less universally embraced about each of these communities. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I'm not disregarding the, the dark side of things. I just want to take some time to talk about what they can be at their best and what we can continue to try to make them. Um, so to start off, just I'm going to ask another question. I know you guys didn't expect um, interaction today probably, but when you hear the word community, what comes to mind? Belonging. Acceptance. Wholeness, yeah. Family, unity, 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, just the idea of community. Belonging. Belonging. That's what we hope we get out of community, right? Um, so a couple of definitions. Um, just a, a basic definition, community, is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. So whether it's the feminist community, the LGBTQ community, the faith community, um, the Republican community, we create communities wherever we have commonality, whether it's geographical or, um, or an interest. Um, another definition comes from the Greek that we see in the Bible translated as church. Um, this word actually really does just mean a gathering of citizens or people in a public assembly. So it did not have an overtly religious connotation when Jesus talked about building his church and when they talked about the church in the New Testament. Obviously, that was the core of the community that they were developing, but that word church didn't, didn't hold them to any particular type of standard other than it's a gathering. It could be political, religious, vocational. Um, so the Moose Lodge, a protest, school, work, family, these are all communities that we find ourselves in. And then a final definition um, comes from the um, Diana Butler Bass book, Grounded. Um, she talks about, a or she has a chapter where it's called Commons. And that's where she really talks about this idea of community. But she's using the term from her college days when the cafeteria or where everybody would gather was called a commons. It's an older word. Um, but the way she defines it is a self-governing community of people who, in, who inhabit or share the use of land, a habitat of mutual interrelationships. And so, again, we can apply these definitions to a very wide variety of, of groups of people. And today I want to focus on five specifically that I'm fairly confident I can say each person hearing this is engaged in. Um, every one of us in this room, I believe, have access to the communities that I'm going to talk about today. Um, if that's not the case for you, um, I apologize and would love to have a conversation with you about where that is lacking, if that's something that you want. So the first community um, that most of us are exposed to are the community of loved ones, friends, and family. At their best, our families and our friendships are meant to teach us a shared language history and tradition. They are meant to reflect to us the values of our people, not in an exclusive way, but in a those who belong share these values. We learn to protect each other and stand up for one another. We make space for our differences because there is a deeper commonality that we know brings us together. This is something that has gotten really skewed somehow in my lifetime, <laughs> but, but that at its best is part of what that's supposed to look like. We learn forgiveness, we learn vulnerability, we hopefully learn to trust in the face of the fears of rejection and abandonment. Again, I understand that for many of us we had the opposite experience, but this is what those communities are meant to provide. We also grow and mature as people we face our own baggage and our own flaws, and we deal with them rather than always blaming other people when things go wrong or staying in selfish or toxic mindsets. We are all very careful to make sure that we are looking for toxicity in our environments these days. We need to make sure we're looking inside as well, because sometimes we can contribute to that toxicity, even if we don't know that we're doing it. Because a lot of times toxicity doesn't come from maliciousness, it just comes from dysfunction that hasn't been addressed yet. 
And then we get to experience the feeling of relief as our burdens are shared by others and a feeling of purpose as we help carry other people's burdens. That's the point of the prayers and joys thing. Um, I mean, I know it can feel just like another thing that we do, but that's the heart of it, is when somebody shares about a brother-in-law or a friend, we're meant to carry that burden with them, that, that worry, that anxiety, and we're, we're meant to tell those people, I will continue to lift that person up in prayer as well. Not because we can fix the problem, but because we believe that God can. And we want comfort, and we want that person to know that they're not carrying that worry alone. That's what it means to bear each other's burdens. And that's part of what we're supposed to learn, first and foremost, among our families and friends. Um, and I hope, beyond hope, that you've all had that experience. Um, but you're not meant to carry all your burdens alone. If you're looking at your life and saying, it's too much, it probably is. Um, because you're not meant to carry it on your own. Um, so I first learned about some of this, not in my nuclear family, but as a teenager, first, um, as I found friends in high school with my fellow nerds and theater geeks, um, and then in my first church among the young people and the leaders there, um, I belonged to people in a real way. People noticed if I was missing for the first time in my life. They wanted to hear my voice. Um, I learned to take a compliment. I learned to receive help. I learned to listen to others, to share space with people I didn't like or I didn't understand, and to develop a commonality outside of those dislikes. Over a hundred late meals at Steak and Shake in Pekin and in our homes and on road trips, um, bonds were forged that still exist today. There are people I do not like who did active damage to me that I'm still connected to, like family, because of the amount of time and history that went into those relationships. And if I heard that one of them was hurt or in need, even if I didn't want to, I would be compelled because they are like family. Friendships today are my found family. I don't have a close connection to my biological family. And I'm gonna say something that is very controversial in a world of TV where everything horrible is excused by but their family. You don't have to engage destructive, dysfunctional, or toxic people, even if there's a blood relation. You can find that elsewhere. It just is what it is. <laughs> um, and so my friends have become my found family. Um, I have learned how to live out those roles through the people that I have chosen and who have chosen me um, to create life together. And that is the role of friendship. That is the role of family. Um, and if you don't have a good one, you can go find one. You can create one around you. The second, um, and this is not in any particular order, just so you know, um, but the second type of community that I experienced and I think most of us probably experience um, are our spiritual communities. And there's kind of a two-parter here because there's Big C Church. And what I mean by that is the church universal, the cosmic church over time and space that Jesus told Peter he was going to start, right? Like, that faith community of following Jesus. But then there are the individual churches, the Amagos and the St. Paul's and the, the smaller communities where we live out that relationship to the larger church. Um, our big C church is our connection, like I said, through time and space, over language and cultural barriers. And at our best, despite political and ideological differences, we, we find a commonality, if nothing else, at the table. 
um, at the communion table. We might even believe different things are happening. We might not agree on what is occurring, but we can all agree that there is something central and profound happening at that table. And when we share that meal, we are, we are saying this is, this is the most important thing, is that we have Jesus in common. It's the heart of why we use liturgy. Um, so prayers that have been written by other people, um, you know, following a book of common prayer through the lectionary of scriptures. We know the scripture that's being read is being read by thousands and thousands of people all over the world in some cases. It can um, be a little bit harder when we zoom in, right? Because the local church is where most of us have experienced damage and wounding, um, if there is damage or wounding from, from the church. But the church is called the body of Christ, and in our passage, Jesus tells his disciples to remain in him and his love. We don't have another vehicle. There's not a plan B to the local church. So if we want to live this out, we have to do it together. And maybe not here if this isn't the right place, but you're only going to be able to do that in a community with other people. For better or worse, as stated in the book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, our love for the church universal is worked out in the hard pews or folding chairs of our particular local congregation. A local congregation, a parish, is our small concrete entry into the universal church. It is the basic unit of Christian community and the place where we encounter God in word and sacrament. The body of Christ, ancient, global, Catholic, meaning universal, is only known, loved, and served through the gritty reality of our local context. And I will try very hard not to wax too long on this one, but um, I saw the beauty of this particular dance having, taking place in a couple of different ways when I was young. The first was at an intervarsity chapter camp on Lake Huron, where I was with all sorts of different types of believers, and I was a, a fairly baby Christian, and I won't tell you the whole story, but it ends taking communion with pretzels and a can of Sprite with believers of all sorts on Lake Huron under the Northern Lights with one person not even taking communion with us because he believed you had to be ordained, but he sat and he prayed and he wanted to be part of, of what happened in that moment. That was the first truly profound ecumenical moment I ever had, and it obviously however many years later, is still impacting me today. Um, I learned this praying with monks and church friends in a smoky, cedar-smelling chapel in Princeville. Um, and I most poignantly experienced it in the remains of a dusty pig farm outside of Canton with thousands and thousands of other people at a music festival called Cornerstone, which if you've ever heard me talk, you know I've mentioned at least once every single time. Um, I was baptized at Cornerstone before I really knew what the place was. Um, my church went through a really brutal separation. It was my very first church that I had been a part of. And I had told, been told that I had strayed too far from the truth um, because I was becoming too liberal. So I had been asked to leave. Um, up to that point, I had been a leader from my first day there, pretty much. And I was young, so um, to me, that was my experience with the church. And so if I didn't have space there, that meant there wasn't room for me in the church. And so I was one of millions of people who left the church not because they didn't want to be part of it, but because they didn't believe that there was a place for them. 
Um, at Cornerstone, I saw the beauty of diversity as we ate cold Subway sandwiches or feasts that my friend Lauren made at our campsite in her makeshift kitchen. We talked about gender and sex and Christ-centered anarchy, politics and writing, and the place of art in the church. We talked about the environment and our differences, and friends would get into heated arguments and then sing together over a fire a few hours later. We talked about being queer as one couple went from dating to married between summer festivals. And all of these experiences in turn led me to Imago because this was the first local church I had ever been a part of that felt the same. I went to Cornerstone for years and was involved in, involved in churches, but never could be my full self. I was always the token hippie or the token chick or the token liberal. And they would, you know, pat me on the head and let me play. But at the end of the day, there was always this kind of juvenile feel that I had. Imago was the first place I came that was full of people who thought, in, in some ways at least like me, but they were allowed to be adults and grown-ups and full contributors. And it's the reason I stayed was because I felt cornerstone here. Sometimes it's easier to focus on Big C Church because it is less personal. But our connection to the church, as I've said, is lived out in proximity with one another. Through the last five or more years, our community has faced and dealt with a lot of change and a lot of difference and a lot of growth and maturity. We have gone from being a baby church that was planted to a church in the temperamental teens, figuring out who we are, and it's made up of each of you. You are each a, a piece of the DNA of what Imago is, whether you've been here for 12 years or... So like I was saying, you influence the community and you matter. Um, there's a book called Reinventing Spiritual Formation that is set up basically following the growth of a particular church. They're just talking about how they have chosen to do community. And one of the things they had chosen to do, even though they were far too big, is every single Wednesday they would have a meal in somebody's home. And, I mean, we're talking 50, 60, 70 people with kids. But... <laughs> You can, rebuke Jay, you can rebuke Satan if you need to. That might not be your bag. But there is a section in there that has stuck with me for years and years because they're talking about the reason that they still insist on doing it, even though it's becoming uncomfortable. And the heart of it is, he says, it is very difficult to hold a petty grudge or see somebody as other when you have to ask them to patch the, pass the ketchup or they're washing your dirty dishes. Weirdly simple, but weirdly profound, right? That's why we need to be around each other. That's why sometimes we do have to get out of our comfort zone. Maybe not 70 people in a basement, but, but maybe five at a coffee shop. You know, there, there is a sense of you only grow in your capacity to love people who are different from you by being around people who are different from you. Um, so then moving on to geographical communities, neighborhood, city, state, nation. This one is tough for me, and I'm just gonna put it out there. You can absolutely disagree with anything I'm about to say. I am a pacifist, and I am not a nationalist. So if you are, I do not mean any judgment by anything that I say. But I do think that these types of communities have gotten a little too entwined with what it means to be a spiritual community. If you've read Shane Claiborne's um, Irresistible Revolution, that's my treatise on the whole thing. Like, he, he wrote my soul um, in that book. But my first awareness of my collective 
community due to citizenship um, was 9-11, which happened in my early 20s. It was the first time something had happened in our world where I was old enough to realize, like, we, whoever we are, are in this together. Like, there was something that happened collectively. And that, that was very profound, but immediately I was jarred by the, the prayer groups and the church services I went to in the coming weeks that were so full of hate and so full of violence and so full of, of harshness. And I, I genuinely couldn't compute the Christianity I had learned up to that point with the violent hatred that I was hearing towards other people. And I'm not saying that it wasn't justified or that, that those people were wrong to feel those ways. It was just a very jarring contrast for me. And then as a youth pastor, I started doing 30-hour famines with World Vision. Um, I started learning about things that are happening in the sex trade and human slavery even today. Um, I began to see through my job the racial and economic divides in Peoria and how drastic those lines were drawn. I began to see the butterfly effect of how decisions made by one group of people have so many consequences for other groups of people, and a lot of times those are inadvertent consequences, but they could be avoided. Um, I went through all of the compassion fatigue and, you know, like, which chocolate can we buy and which coffee can we buy and should I stop shopping at Old Navy even though I can't afford anymore? Like, is it better to use the disposable cup for coffee or the glass cup for coffee and then use the soap and the water to wash the cup of coffee? Like, I was plagued <laughs> in my 20s trying to figure out how to balance out the effects that I knew my choices were having on the global community. The reality is, and I know this is going to seem idealistic, but we are part of a different kingdom. And it's not an in or out thing. It's that those who have chosen to follow Jesus, he has told us very clearly, you're called to live a different kind of life. You're called to have values that are going to put you at odds with the systems of power. It's what got Jesus crucified. And it's what he's talking about in the Sermon on the Mount that we're talking about during Eat, Strings, and Orthodoxy. He's laying out the values that we're meant to carry into the world. And in the passage today, we're told to abide in him and allow him to abide in us, which means that we're walking those values out. And shockingly enough, as Danny called out, the highest calling of that is love. And I'm going to give you a definition for love if you, like me, have struggled with boundaries or codependency in your past, this can be a hard thing to hear because we don't know what it looks like. And decades ago, I felt like God gave me a definition, and it could be wrong, but I, I, was, I felt like I was given a definition that was doable for me. And that is to treat every single human being with the dignity and respect of an image bearer of God. Even if I can't see that image, I know that it's there. So no matter how angry you make me, no matter how wrong I think you are, no matter how much damage I feel like you're doing to other people, I am called to treat you with the dignity and respect of an image bearer of God. It doesn't mean I have to not speak up or fight against the behaviors or actions that I think are wrong, but I do so treating you with the dignity and respect of an image bearer of God. That's what we're called to at the, at the bare minimum, if you, it doesn't mean you have to let toxic people in your life or not have boundaries or allow them to hurt you. It just means that you treat them with dignity and respect. 
So we each have to determine how we're going to engage our geographic communities and what level we're called to be involved with. Some people are called to Washington, D.C. Some people are called to focus on the church and its ability to impact their local communities and everything in between. There was a tweet put out um, accredited to Ursula Wolf Roca this weekend, or I'm sorry, this week. It says, it can be overwhelming to witness, experience, or take in all the injustices of the moment. The good news is that they're all connected. So if your little corner of work involves pulling at one of the threads, you're helping to unravel the whole damn cloth. So if you feel like what you're doing, whether it's praying or serving or volunteering or writing letters isn't enough, just keep pulling your thread. You're not expected to save the world. That's Jesus' job. But he does it through a million of us doing what we're called to do in the moment. We're all connected beyond these boundaries in another type of community. And I won't go too long on this one because I could go forever. Um, The reality is we're all connected, right? Regardless of religion, regardless of race, regardless of nationality. We are in a community with all of humankind and with the natural world. Any disconnect or us versus them or disregard for those connections, in my opinion, is a form of insanity, and it's a form of self-destruction. Every sin, and obviously I'm sure you could find one that that doesn't fit this, but um, every sin in Scripture from the Ten Commandments to the messages of the prophets to the New Testament epistles is all fruit from the same poison tree of division, selfishness, and the delusion of us versus them. And the good fruit Jesus talks about, I don't believe is meant to be pressure at all. I believe it's just meant to be the outflow of love for other people. And the fruit is going to come to bear in a million different ways, depending on those relationships. But the, the cornerstone is that we have an interconnectedness in Jesus. We've already touched on what's happening in the Ukraine. We've touched on what's happening in Texas. We in this room are affected by those things. Not to the same extent, but we're humans who are connected to the other humans on this planet. We're connected to the Russian soldiers. We're connected to the terrified Ukrainians. We're connected to the suicidal trans teens and to the politicians who are trying to target them. What we do with that connection is up to us, and there's no judgment if you choose to deny one of those connections because it's just too painful, but I do believe it is the reality that we live in. We need to build a bigger table. And I think this is true in our relationship even to nature. Vicki talked a lot about it. Um, You know, one example I can use is a meal that we eat. You don't have to be a vegetarian to honor the energy of the animal that gave its life so that you could be nourished, right? And to acknowledge that at the end of the day, your body will then eventually nourish others. And so there are ways to acknowledge this interconnectedness without having to completely change your personality or your values or who you are. So to land the plane, how do we stay grounded? How do we abide in Jesus and the communities he's provided? One step is to evaluate the friends, the family members, and other communities that you're in. Make sure that they're healthy within reason in and of themselves. If you're in a toxic community, Remove yourself from that community or find ways to remove the toxicity. 
but don't just stay in a community that's damaging. Um, even if it's a work community or our family, something that you can't extricate yourself from, at least take the time to honestly evaluate it. We need to acknowledge the communities we have available to us. Peoria has so many opportunities. Part of my job in another life was literally to connect people who were new to the area, whether it was sports, theater, arts, um, more sports, 5Ks, charities, sports, whatever it was. Even if it was something I knew nothing about, like sports, I could connect you to the people who were like you. I could connect you to the places where you could find your people. Peoria actually has a lot to offer, even in the midst of a pandemic, but you have to know where to look. It's not like a big city where it's just out there, and these communities are, are spiritual and hobby and political. They, they cover the gamut, so just take the time to look for the communities. Church offerings. We have this small group coming up. Eat, drinks, and orthodoxy, volunteering. You've literally heard about multiple ways to engage the community just in the announcements this morning. And again, it's not about doing everything. It's about finding one thing that helps you get a little more connected to the community that's available to you. It will require discomfort in putting yourself out there. Do it anyway, because that's part of the point of a community. And then we do the work that's spoken of um, already in this series. Like I said, Vicki talked about our connection to the natural world. Melinda talked about our connection to home. Brian talked about staying connected through spiritual communities. There's so many things outside of our control, but there are ways that we can engage. And the very last thing I want to talk about, and this is going to, I know, get hippy-dippy, um, the very first relationship we're in, um, I, I listened to a, a slam poet talk this week about this idea. You are your own first love. I know, I know, it's like cheesy and whatever, but, but really, how do you talk to yourself? <laughs> it's good, keep the conversation going. But how do you treat yourself? The shame that the guy was talking about in the announcement, how much of that resonated? How mean are you to yourself? How much scarcity do you carry into the world? How many assumptions do you take into your conversations with people about what they're going to think of you, usually slanted to the negative? We all have an inner dialogue, an inner critic, but we're also given this model, whatever you believe about the Trinity, we see that there is this relational aspect even within God. There's the word that turned into Jesus. There's the Father. There's the Spirit. There's this community aspect. So you're not schizophrenic to think about the relationship that you have with yourself. But the truth is, we can only healthily engage a community in as much as we ourselves are bringing our best and are doing our own work. That means owning our own flaws, owning our own triggers, our filters, and our weaknesses addressing our wounds and seeking healing so that we ourselves can be healthy contributors and not carry those wounds into those communities in ways that expect from others more than is fair. This is not the same as carrying each other's burdens. We need to be able to make space for others to be different without perceiving them as oppositional. Somebody can disagree with you and not actually be opposed to you. We need to work on skills like active listening, compassion, and resilience. And we need to be engaging our own passions and interests and making ourselves a priority. 
I want you to, to have permission to prioritize your relationship with yourself because that is the, the very first and foremost person Jesus has called you to love. You love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't think that we're reading into it to put that emphasis there. You can only love others as well as you have learned to love yourself. So just keep that in mind. So like a fish acknowledging water, we're more surrounded to connection than I think we realize. Our groundedness comes from seeing what we have, reinforcing it, and moving toward it. So in that spirit, we are going to participate in communion today. Um, it's a meal that's been shared by millions of people over 2,000 years across the globe. Even today, the meal that we take is being taken by others. Let this meal remind you that you are seen and loved by a creator who provided flawed but, human, but beautiful humans to care for you and to whom you are called to care. Feel your connection to the Christians in Eastern Europe this morning and in Texas. Let it remind you that you're also connected to all of those who have never eaten this meal because the Jesus that adores you also longs for each and every one of them. And let this meal remind you that you truly are grounded in the community of Christ.